This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. The Southern Discovery Islands beach cleanup is now finished. The last truckload of debris left our yard this morning. So we're now just into the final stages of cleaning up our own yard as a result of all the little styrofoam balls and things. Said Brianne Quinnell. Her company, Spirit of the West Adventures, was awarded a contract to clean up between 200 and 400 kilometers of shoreline in the Southern Discovery Islands through the Clean Coast Clean Waters Initiative. This is a provincially funded program designed to support BC's coastal communities as they recover from the COVID-19 economic downturn and loss of tourism. There's also been a long-standing need to collect the plastics, styrofoam, and other debris that have been steadily accumulating on beaches. Quinnell emailed a tally which showed that more than half of the 347 kilometers of shoreline they cleaned was on Quadra Island, but they also cleaned almost the entire circumference of Reed and Marina Islands, as well as significant portions of Cortez and Morel, and four kilometers of Grant and Middlenatch Islands. We collected 45 tons over two months. That's a just staggering number for us. About 55% of what we were able to collect was suitable for recycling, which is the really cool part. And then a good part was also reused by locals for a variety of reasons. Every day was an adventure trying to work in these remote places for long periods of time and rain coming sideways and having to stop because the tides are too high or the winds are too big but also just the fun that their crews had. There were songs and dances made up to bring spirits and morale up in those moments. Also just finding some really random things on the beach, like shotgun shell casing and tampon applicators, bottle caps and straws and little pokey things they put in the top of a Starbucks coffee to keep it warm. We're finding all those plastic flossers. Those are things that you might expect to find, but then you find things like plastic toy rats. We found two of those in the logs. <laughs> you reach in to get this chunk of plastic and you pull it out and it sure made me jump because I was like, ah, did I just grab a petrified rat? But they were plastic rats and there were two of them on the same beach. So somebody either left them there or maybe there's been a shipping container of plastic rats lost at sea that's slowly washing up on our beach. Something else that's fun is we decided we keep a tally of footwear because you find a lot of shoes on the beach and luckily no feet in the shoes. I know that was a a bit of an issue on the coast a few years back now, but we did find over 200 shoes and more left feet than right feet, if you're ever wondering, and more large male sized shoes versus kid shoes. So if you're in the older male category with bigger feet, you might want to watch your shoes. (laughs) You're more at risk of losing them statistically speaking. (laughs) Would you do it again? Yeah, especially having learned so much over the last few months. There's no manual for exactly how to do this and also (laughs) meeting all the government requirements and paperwork. So now that we figured that process out, it would be something that we'd definitely do. The funding for this project was from the BC Ministry of Environment and Climate Change and through the Clean Coast Clean Waters project. We're incredibly grateful to have been the folks to be able to put that into action in our region and are really hoping that government sees the incredible need for this work going forward, the value to local communities and the employment opportunities 
and that they continue to fund these projects into the future. Colleagues of mine have done this on the Central Coast for the last couple of years. I've been kind of peripherally involved through the Wilderness Tourism Association and seeing the incredible work that they were able to accomplish. Sierra Quadrant has been holding an annual beach cleanup on Quadra Island since 1998. This spring, the Sierra Club was unable to do their usual beach cleanups on Quadra as a result of COVID restrictions. So just knowing what was collecting and piling up on the beaches when there was an opportunity to do it in a safe and structured manner and, and then have some support from government to be able to not only collect it and reach the hard to reach places that are boat access only, but be able to recycle it. So we were able to divert a lot because of the government funding, which was a wonderful element of the project. I think government will see there is an incredible need. There's a storm, there's more on our beach. So hopefully government will also focus on how to prevent it getting there in the first place. And we try to go above and beyond with the reporting requirements and, and try and track very specifically where we were finding particular items and how much of each item type, plastics or styrofoam, things that were identifiable, say aquaculture gear versus other materials that you find on the beach so that we can provide that information to government and to the industries that are keen to clean up as well. There isn't a formal mechanism for reporting to government, but we're planning on submitting quite a formal report. Tell us some more about the specific islands where you cleaned up. In total, we figure it was about 357 kilometers of shoreline that we ended up covering. Weather and other factors, just, you know, finding some beaches that took a whole week because of what was there and the state of the materials, you know, nets that were buried into the sand or totally abandoned aquaculture sites that just were loaded with materials or distance from the docks to shuttle those materials back. We're still pretty proud of the 357 kilometers because that's still substantial. They cleaned almost the entire circumference of Quadra, Reed and Marina Islands. We didn't spend a ton of time on Cortez because there was another group that had done that in the spring. Government didn't want to pay for the same place to be cleaned twice. So we were kind of strategically choosing the areas that we were covering. So but Cortez was 34 kilometers of shoreline that we covered. It was the west side north of Whale Town to the tip and in the gorge predominantly. Just a small portion of the gorge. We were trying to work with some of the local shellfish operators to find out what is still in play and <laughs> what is abandoned and what is actually derelict versus what is just stored creatively. I know that Christine Robinson contacted you about Middle Natch. We went down to Middle Natch twice. We did the circumference plus what they had picked up themselves. There were a bunch of oyster trays balls and floats. When I interviewed Quinnell at the beginning of this project, last October, she said, The volume of debris that we're finding is mind-blowing. So we are focusing on the larger items instead of the tiny little microplastics. We're trying to get the larger items out before they become the microplastics. Just the amount of styrofoam and I know we have some very responsible aquaculture operations in our region, but the amount of aquaculture debris is mind-boggling. Do you have any idea how much debris you had to leave behind? We weren't able to interact with any derelict vessels. There's a giant old fish farm net pen ring 
that we weren't able to get. And then there's a huge portion of dock that has broken away from, we think it's from an aquaculture site that's not too far away that does have some styrofoam floats and then a giant couple of giant tires that folks actually didn't want removed from the beach. So that was an interesting one to come across. We were ready to pull it off with our crane and they're like, no, we sit here. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, everyone has different view of how to, how to repurpose marine debris. So that was uh, interesting, but yeah, there's so much out there still. That was the larger debris that we were picking up. There's all the tiny microplastics and things every time the logs are turned over. So while we say we've covered these beaches and cleaned them, we've done the best we can and, and have managed to remove those 45 tons of material, but there's still each of these beaches you could go back and clean for weeks, weeks. Tell us about the recycling. So we have shipped over half of what we collected, about 55% of what we were able to collect was suitable for recycling and that's been shipped to ocean legacy foundation that has a marine debris specific recycling center in delta and then they will then sort through again and ensure that things meet their criteria for their various recycling avenues will the rest go to a landfill the rest went to landfill or was repurposed so we were able to divert a lot from Quadra, so people using barrels for rain barrels, say for collecting rainwater or fish totes that we'd find for making licking garden beds. Some of the netting was repurposed for around gardens. Some of the aquaculture materials were collected by aquaculture operations. We asked if they could responsibly repurpose it and make sure it doesn't end up loose in the ocean again. Things like the black floats, some of the netting some of the traps, some of the plastic baskets, but most of the operators said they were moving away from those. So. Uh, that does remind me, in Australia, I know that they plastics and things back to the source and they go to the manufacturer and uh, try to get them to cut down the flow of plastic that come from them. Do you know if we're doing anything like that? I know there's been talk over the years of trying to have more accountability for the waste that ends up on the beaches. And that would be my huge recommendation to government. A lot of these pieces would appear to be quite obvious where they've come from. You know the type of material, you know which farms in the area are using that material. I'm speaking in particular about aquaculture debris because that was the vast majority of what we found. There aren't any other industries that are using plastic trays that look like that. So that's why I can make the deduction that these would have been from an aquaculture operation. Where they came from, that's harder to say. It could be from way down in Bain Sound. It could be local. Having some sort of track and trace system or a stamp that needs to happen on all your gear or barcode. I know in Chile, there was discussion with the aquaculture industry there of having a scannable barcode every so many feet on all of their pipes and nets and ropes so that when it washed up, they were then responsible for it. And if not so much a tracking system, at least a deposit system um, or some sort of recording or reporting on, I bought this number of trays this year and I had to pay this deposit, which will help clean them up if I'm irresponsible. Same with the leases that government collect for, for crown land use or um, tenures of, as a tourism operator, I have to leave a kind of a security deposit with the government. And it would be wonderful if those security deposits were um, used for 
times, like when we found several aquaculture sites where somebody had literally just walked away, all their gear left in the water, all the docks, all the floats. In those cases, some funds to be able to deal with that would seem like a good use of those security deposits that were placed in my books. When you talk about aquaculture, are you talking about fish farms as well as shellfish operations? We did find fish farm debris as well. One of those huge rings and some of the floats and nets in particular, but largely shellfish farming was when we're talking plastic debris and and netting and old docks. There were a few hot spots for sure. In Granite Bay, Canish Bay, there were a few farms that somebody had actually just walked away from and left all of their debris. So those are places where we did ask, we had DFO come out with us and help us identify farms that weren't actually active and, and also things that we weren't able to remove. You know, our focus was supposed to be intertidal and shoreline. So when there were things moored out in a bay that were beyond our scope, we'd uh, report those to DFO and, and they've mentioned that they're going to hopefully be on some of those cleanups as before too long as well. Why is it important to do these uh, shoreline cleanups? When you see what is left and what damage it does and how it breaks down in our storms and our logs over time with UV and you see these huge styrofoam floats and every time you remove one of those styrofoam floats you're saving hundreds of thousands of little tiny balls from ending up on the beaches in the food system in the food chain you can't help but want to do it and it needs to be done and it needs to be done continually but we also need to just stop and think what we're buying and what we're supporting. Even when I see all the aquaculture debris, making sure you know who your farmers are that you're buying from and asking what they're doing and what systems they have in place. There are better practices than others. So it's just being a responsible human. We are consumers, whether we like it or not, but we have a lot of power and choice in what we're buying and Um, what messaging we're giving to these companies in terms of I'm not going to purchase that because it's heavily packaged or I would like to purchase this because it's got a reusable returnable option thinking through even you know I go to the grocery store now and I, I can't look at those milk jugs that have the little plastic tops that are wonderful for pouring but I don't know how many of those little pull tabs we found on the beaches during this cleanup so it's making small little choices that will hopefully add up to big changes over time. You've been listening to an interview with Brienne Quinnell about the two-month-long beach cleanup in the southern Discovery Islands that has just concluded. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>